some way uh, against hurry last week. And if you want to talk to me about that, how, or how it went for you, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. If you want to just shoot the breeze about whatever I talked about last week or this week, I'd be happy to talk about that. I like talking about it, if you can't tell. Um, so we're picking up right where we left off last week, uh, and we're asking where? Wait, God, really, where? Where do Jesus' footsteps actually lead us? Right, because last week we talked about how when we do the things Jesus did, it puts us in conflict with how we are raised in Western culture to live in a society that worships hurry and efficiency and speed. Um, and so today we're asking, where do those things actually lead us? So um, I talked last week about some spiritual practices or formations or disciplines, whatever you want to call them. Um, and those are not exclusive. That's not an exclusive list. There are plenty more things that Jesus did, right? Um, but the ones we talked about last week are silence and solitude. We talked about worship. Um, we talked about slowness, simplicity, prayer. What am I missing? Shabbat. Oh, and tithing and giving. We talked about all those things being um, an attempt to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And if you remember why we do that, the quote that I gave you was that because it was because hurry is the great enemy of spirituality in our world today. And so all these things uh, help us to eliminate hurry. They help us to live against the world of distractions and cheap rest that we are so immersed in. And so, again, I'll ask, where do Jesus' footsteps actually lead us? And my answer, and I, I believe God's answer, is that they lead us into an abiding relationship with God. That's what it's all about, and that's what we're talking about today is, is, where, you know, is why Jesus did the things he did and why that matters. Okay, so but before we talk more about the actual abiding relationship, let's talk about the problem. Put that up on the board, Steph. So the problem with all of this, the problem with where we're going today, is that we so often tend to make ourselves the gods of our own stories. We decide to live in a tiny story where we're the main character instead of living in God's story. We trust ourselves instead of God, right? We break our relationship with him so that we can put ourselves in the driver's seat. We make religious systems all the time, uh, and we end up disconnecting with our relationship with God. And so um, religion is what those practices can lead to if relationship is not our goal. And that's what I was trying to warn you against at the end of last week. I said um, specifically that those practices are never meant to earn points, never meant to um, turn into a religious system, and they're not meant to make you a better person. They're just not. Uh, and if, if, those, if that becomes the case for any of those practices, then congratulations, you've developed a religious system. Good for you. Uh, it's not good. I'm kidding. Sorry, that was not a good joke. Um, <laughs> religion is when we, s when we say, if I do this, then I will achieve a certain status. Right? Obviously, we understand that the Pharisees were a great example of that, but we all live in that in some way today, right? Where we believe that some part of our relationship with God is based on, if I do this, then this will happen, right? Then I will achieve this status. I will become closer to God because I did this, right? And that's what we want to avoid. In fact, Jesus came, um, among other things, to tear down a religious system, a religious system that was centuries old and had grown to um, the bureaucracy level where rules upon rules were being made and heavy burdens were being laid upon people in order for them to become more, in order for them to matter. 
The people who did not obey those rules didn't even matter in society and were shunned. Um, So Jesus came to tear that down. Uh, He also came uh, to offer us a different solution. He He came to offer us the fullness of relationship with God, not baggage to go with the relationship, but the fullness of uninterrupted, unblocked by sin relationship with God. And so this is, I do not have the emotional bandwidth to communicate this part to you correctly. And I don't know anybody who does. But our Father has gone through such extravagant um, and extraordinary measures to continue loving us. I think those four songs said it better than I ever could. And uh, it's just amazing that God is just working. We did not talk at all about this. I didn't even look at the songs until I just sang them today. So, um, God has gone through extreme measures to continue loving us. He's continued to love us through humanity's failures, humanity's brokenness, humanity's sin. Um, And that's what what we're here to talk about. Consider Adam and Eve, right? The very first failure of humanity. They decided that instead of putting God in the driver's seat and living out his story, they would make their own story because theirs would be better. Now, the logical thing to do if you're God is to just restart, right? Humanity's only a couple days old. Just, just pump out a couple new humans and do it over again, see if it works better, right? That's what most people would do in that spot. Like, oh, this experiment didn't work. Let's try again. Uh, and yet God covers their failure, and he extends himself past that betrayal to continue loving Adam and Eve. I find that extraordinary. Um, go to the next slide, and we'll look at Exodus 20. We're at Mount Sinai, and of course we know what happens here. But this verse says, uh, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. If this was a human relationship, hopefully we'd be able to understand the betrayal that that is. Right? God just um, went to extravagant measures to release this people from slavery. He just saved them from an army of, pursu- of pursuers. And yet, in all of those loving acts, they reject him. And they say, nope, that relationship is too much for me. You tell this guy what to do, and we'll do it. You set up a religious system for us, and we'll be able to handle that. And yet, even in the face of that rejection, God continues to turn his love towards his people. And all throughout the Bible, that continues, obviously. Um, I don't need to list the stories. We are all familiar of uh, the stories of the people of Israel turning away, and then God having to continue to love them through a tough situation. And so that continues until Jesus arrived, and he, Jesus came and shook up the religious system of the Jewish people. Right? As I said before, the Jewish people at that time began to believe that filling out checkboxes was the relationship with God. Uh, and to be fair, they were living in an incomplete system, right? They were living in a covenant that was not yet the final covenant. They were living in a system where they had to continually shed off their sin through rituals and sacrifices, over and over and over again, without end, for centuries and centuries and centuries. Almost as if 
it was made for someone to come and fulfill finally. And so Jesus came to shake that religion, but not just to shake religion, to fulfill that covenant and offer us not just a new covenant, but the best covenant, the best relationship with God possible, a, a relationship with God that is not blocked by our sin, that is not weighed down by rituals and sacrifices, by baggage, by rules. Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price. Uh, Steph, go up. Next slide. Thank you. So Isaiah says prophetically of Jesus' work, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And so even with the knowledge that all humanity would continue to go astray, Jesus took on the weight of the sin of the world as his own so that we could have relationship with him so that we could have what he created us to have with him, so we could live the way he created us to live. Even today, God continues keeping his love directed towards us, even though we continue to turn away as humanity, not just as individuals. And yet, every one of those turning, turning away is us, just like Adam and Eve, just like the Israelites, putting ourselves in the driver's seat making ourselves the gods of our own story. Our decisions, our dreams, our goals, every turning away from that relationship is an example of us putting ourselves before God. So, the next slide will ask what, oh, sorry, walking in Jesus' footsteps leads to what? So we understand the problem we understand that Jesus is the solution. So I'm not here to give you a solution. Jesus is the solution, right? Um, but what does that look like? Walking in Jesus' footsteps leads to, oh, it's already up there, obedience. <laughs> so much for the buildup. I'm kidding. All right. Um, yeah, so obedience is the first thing that walking in Jesus' footsteps leads to, right? Let me rephrase that. All of the practices we talked about last week, all of the denying hurry, all of those things lead us as the main goal to relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, the first thing that usually comes up is obedience. It's kind of the first, not hurdle, but the first thing that we are met with in our relationship with God. It's, a, it's an example of trust versus our desires for our story. Can I trust my relationship with God enough? That's a hard question for us to ask ourselves. It's hard to submit to God's will for our lives, and yet we are to look at all of the things he took on for us, all of the times that he continued loving humanity and us as individuals, regardless of our brokenness, our failures, our sin, our turning away from him. So we get a choice to turn our trust and our love back toward God and to meet him face-to-face -face in that relationship. Or continue living in our own small stories. 
It's obedience to his word, obedience to his voice, to his calling, to his spirit. And obedience often leads to sacrifice. Right? Not a great trajectory so far, just, just in the worldly perspective, right? Obedience often leads to sacrifice. Now, last week we talked about two ways that obedience leads to sacrifice, and then sacrifice leads to a really awesome blessing. Uh, and that's why I talked about them first. Um, Shabbat and tithing and giving are, are, are things that God asks us to sacrifice in obedience that lead to a super, super awesome blessing, and he anoints those things. And that's really, really cool. Uh, and yet, we're never supposed to trust, uh, trust, we're never supposed to do those things out of obedience because of the result. In fact, that's not even obedience. Right? If you're doing something based on the result being guaranteed, you're not trusting or obeying anybody except for the result. So we're actually called to live in trust when we sacrifice things, when God calls us to sacrifice. And the truth is that Jesus calls us to a life of sacrifice. He tells us that walking in his footsteps is a life of sacrifice. Um, he calls us to lay down our dreams, our desires, our distractions, our selfishness, so that we can have true relationship with him. In fact, if you think of your deep relationships, they require sacrifice. Right? We were all made aware of that on our wedding day when we realized, oh, this is going to require sacrifice. And then even more so when we have kids. <laughs> like, oh man, this is a lot of sacrifice, right? Relationship, true relationship requires sacrifice. So it's not as if God is putting this on us as an extra thing. This is not baggage. This is what true relationship looks like. And yet, this is where we often stop. We see these two words as believers, and we stop right there. We often turn obedience into religion, right? We turn those list of practices into a list of rules. Or we see the word sacrifice and run from it, because it's scary. That word is really scary. And the unfortunate part is that sacrifice is rarely comfortable. Um, Jesus tells us in John 16, Seth, thank you. He says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. All right, thanks Jesus. That was some bad news and some really good news. That's awesome. The next verse is a little bit harder to hear. If any of you wants to be my follower... That's us. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me break that down a little bit differently. If any of us wants to follow Jesus, we must give up our own way in obedience, take up our cross in sacrifice, and follow him. And he is leading us into relationship. So those are not easy things. And like I said, this is where most believers stop. And they say, this is enough relationship with God for me. Right before obedience and sacrifice, I'm good. Um, and yet it's hard to actually say that there is relationship without obedience and sacrifice. Luckily, Jesus also says this. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. 
For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. How is that even possible, Jesus, when you just said that we have to lay down ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you? Well, what Jesus is really saying here is that an easy life isn't an option. If your goal is to live an easy life, good luck. But it's not an option in following Jesus. And yet an easy yoke is. You see, Jesus calls us to follow him. And he calls us to follow him, and he says that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. So we know that he calls us to sacrifice and obedience, and we know that those are scary things. And yet Jesus promises that our yoke will be, li- our yoke will be easy and our burden will be light. And what he's saying there is, is the beauty of this relationship, is that when we surrender to our relationship with God, there is so much extra provision and joy in that. There is so much extra holding up with his hand. There's so much extra um, just love from that relationship. When we go through trials and sacrifice, God is there with us, right? He walks through with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so in relationship with all of that, sorry, in relationship with God, we, we get the ability or the yoke to be able to walk through all those things in love. And that is the real gift of obedience and sacrifice. And that God, is that God provides for us through all those things. It's hard to hear. It's even harder to say. This is not an easy thing to say out loud, by the way. Um, but it's true. So next question, or right, I guess the question that I really wanted to talk about, the question that we're leading to, uh, is how do we actually know when to obey and when to sacrifice? Right? We understand, first and foremost, that a lot of those questions are answered in the Bible. Right? We understand a lot about our relationship with God and how he wants us to represent him. Yes, from reading the Bible. And yet, there are so many situations in our everyday lives we are presented something that is a choice between two really good things. We can see no sin in either one. We can see no bad in either one, right? Or a choice to go now or go later. There, I, I don't need to give examples. Some of them sound trivial, but... The point is, there are plenty of choices where the Bible doesn't say, yes, go to McDonald's today. It just doesn't say that, okay? So, (laughs) the question is, how do we actually know? Jesus, how do I know when to sacrifice, what to obey, um, outside of your word? What, What about these specific situations? And my answer, and the Bible's answer, is that the Holy Spirit lives in us. That when we became believers in Jesus, when we became followers of Christ, God put his Holy Spirit inside of us, a part of God living in us. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us out of our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit's not a decoration. The Holy Spirit's not just a mark that we're a believer. The Holy Spirit is God indwelling us, living in our hearts to be, to be that close with us to have relationship with us. John 16, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And there are plenty of examples, I'll get into that in a second. But God has called us to be ambassadors for him and vessels f- 
through which he speaks and to whom he speaks. The Holy Spirit is the thing that does that. The Holy Spirit is the part of God that speaks to us. Now, we're going to go through uh, several arguments here. I'm going to play devil's advocate against myself. Hope you enjoy that. I'm not going to, okay. Um, so, first stumbling block, right? Um, we often say, well, God doesn't speak anymore, right? The Bible is what we need. Um, the ironic part about that argument is that in the Bible, we see God speaking to people over and over and over and over and over and over, countless times, in fact. Um, some examples, Adam and Eve, Moses, Abraham, when he calls him a father of nations, David, when he says he's a man after his own heart, um, Paul, when he stops him on the road to Damascus and changes the whole modern European and Asian world forever, uh, Peter, when he gives him a vision of the sheet showing Peter that it is not just for the Jews that Jesus died. I could keep going, and you can find them, you know, in every book, basically, of the Bible. God speaks to people in the Bible. So to say God is done speaking is actually to not listen to what the Bible is telling us about how God speaks to people. So that's stumbling block number one. God longs to speak with us. Sorry, I'm out of breath. Okay. In fact, God is always speaking to us. God speaks to us all the time. And yet, rewind to last week, we are so entrenched, we are so surrounded by an environment of hurry and distraction that we never have a chance to even stop and listen. Notice the strategy there, right? Our whole culture is focused on keeping us busy, whether it's busy with work or busy, like distracted. Our whole culture's idea of rest is still distraction. And all of that works against us hearing from God. And that is why it seems so rare sometimes. Because uh, it's, it's hard to shut all of that out. It really is. <sighs> and yet God wants to commune in relationship with us. He wants us to hear his voice, and he wants us to let it move us. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to a church, Behold, I am standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come into you and feast with you and you will feast with me. So there it is, Jesus right there saying to a body of believers, if your heart is open, that's where the Holy Spirit dwells, to hear my voice, then he will come in and feast with us. In John 10, he says it even more plainly, my own sheep will hear my voice and I know each one, and they will follow me. And so clearly we are meant to hear God's voice and then to let it move us into a relationship with him. The practices that we've gone over are all great examples of how to do that. I'll go backwards, I guess. No, I won't do that. That's too complicated. Silence and solit solitude. Remember I was saying that was the hardest one, possibly, but also possibly the most important one. Shutting out the outward distractions the inward distractions, and getting away. That leaves us in silence where we're actually able to hear from God. In fact, we see people, not just Jesus, but people all over Scripture retreating to a silent place so that they can commune with God. We see people all throughout Scripture worshiping in their relationship with God. We see people all throughout Scripture praying out of their relationship with God. 
living in slowness, living in simplicity, celebrating the rest of Shabbat. All of those things, I know I forgot one, all of those things teach us to come to, to God with our full attention toward him. Tithing and giving, right? That teaches us to, to stop worrying about our fear, fear of not having enough and our desire to have more. It releases us, generosity releases us from that baggage, that bondage, and allows us to sit with God knowing that he will provide for us. So all of those things, and again, there are more practices. That's not a definitive list at all. Um, there are more practices, but all of those things bring us to a place where we can go deeper in our relationship with God, where we can commune with God, where we can hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And that's pretty darn cool. Um, so I guess the next question is, it's the original question, where do Jesus' footsteps actually lead us? Wait, really? You want us to do all that stuff, Jesus? And again, it's not doing all that stuff. It's just walking in beautiful, beautiful, fulfilling relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We call that abiding, as I said before. Uh, abiding is just a constantly uh, relating to or constantly turning our attention and our love towards something. Right? And we, we kind of do this just with other things. Uh, and so that is what God created us to do. That is our primary function as humans, as reflections of God in humanity, is to abide in relationship with him. And that's pretty crazy when you think of it, that most, most of humanity has not done the one thing that they were created originally to do, to abide in relationship with Jesus. And it's really, it's really intimidating to hear all this. And unfortunately, there are no tips and tricks. There are no tips and tricks to hearing God's voice, to, to uh, abiding in relationship, but the practices are Jesus' version of tip, tips and tricks. He showed us how to walk in abiding relationship with God. He showed us how to pursue that relationship. So, here's the next stumbling block. Most people then would say to me, or I would say, let's do I. I would say, well, so you want me to just sit at church all week? Like, this is abiding with God, right? Just in church. Uh, no, right? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't chill at synagogue 24-7. He lived a life. He lived a full-on life, in fact. And yet he was constantly turning his attention uh, and his love toward God. He was constantly abiding in his Father. And yet, he lived a perfect life, and we can't. So I would say, well, that's too much. Clearly, I can't do that. Jesus was perfect. I'm not. Uh, and that's true. Jesus was perfect. He's the only one who will ever be perfect. And we are not perfect. I hate to break it to you. Um, and yet, God calls us to continue to relate to him through our imperfections. God calls us to turn to him even in our messes, to bring our brokenness to him, to bring our sickness to him, to bring our failures to him. Even in the most, even in the worst parts of humanity, God calls us to turn to him. This is what God has taught me is most important. Without abiding, nothing else matters. Without an abiding relationship with Jesus, nothing else matters. And Jesus says that a little bit more shockingly than I did. He says, On the day of judgment, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? We pr- didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do many miracles for the sake of your name? Didn't we do great things in the name of the church? But I will say, but Jesus will say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. So Jesus says it right there. If, if abiding in him is the only thing that matters, and then once we do that, the other things come into place. Our abiding relationship with him is our lifeblood. It's what we were created to do. It's how we were created to live in relationship with God. And it, it calls us to obedience and sacrifice. Jesus calls us to abide in him. So I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to do two quick things here. You can go to the last slide or the next slide. I'm going to do two quick things here before we go to worship. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray. Um, it's a prayer that I often pray in many, many variations. Um, and it's something that ha- just allows me to focus my attention back on God. And you're welcome to pray with me. You're welcome to just meditate on the words or totally ignore me. That's totally up to you. Um, but that's what I'm going to do in a second. Before I do that, I just want to let you know, I usually take deep breaths before I do this, not because it's weird, not because I'm tired, usually because it helps me to release all of the distractions that I've been holding on to. It helps me to slow my body down. Um, and as we learned last week, that was hard for me. So it was very important for me to do that. So I'm going to pray really quick, and then I'm just going to read a passage of scripture and a quote. Jesus, we surrender everyone and everything to you. We surrender our distractions to you surrender our dreams, our desires. We surrender our critical attitude toward others to you. God, I give you my brokenness. I give you my past. I give you my attention, Jesus. I surrender everyone and everything to you, God. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Restore my union with you. Heal and restore my abiding union with you, God. I was created for union with you. I was created to live in relationship with you. I love you. I worship you. I trust you. My love has changed toward you. Heal and restore my abiding relationship with you. Jesus, I desire a deeper relationship. I desire to abide. I desire to walk in the Spirit, to pray at all times. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. Let the river of life flow through me, surround me, and run over me. And Holy Spirit, you are here. You are here in each each believer, in each follower of Christ. And I surrender my attention to you. Teach me to 
speak your voice, teach me to hear your voice, and teach me to be moved by your voice. Amen. Psalm 135 says this. It's the middle of the psalm, in case you were wondering. Jehovah, your name endures forever. Your fame is known in every generation. For you will vindicate your persecuted people, showing your tender love to all your servants. The unbelieving nations will worship what they make. They worship their wealth and their work. They idolize what they own and what they do. Their, their possessions will never satisfy. Their lifeless and futile works cannot bring life to them. Their things can't talk to them or answer their prayers. Blind men can only create blind things. Those deaf to God can only make a deaf image. Dead men can only create dead idols. And everyone who trusts in these powerless dead things will be just like what they worship, powerless and dead. And then it says, Let all his lovers who bow low before him praise the Lord Yahweh. So abiding is our goal, if you haven't heard me say it enough. And worship is a great way to engage with God. Yes, that was Sydney. In our relationship with him. It's our choice to direct our love and trust toward God or to turn away and make ourselves the gods of our own story. History can tell us that when humans make themselves the gods of their story, the result is a very small story. Yet God calls us in relationship with him to, to a much larger story. In fact, the best story of all time. Better than any movie where he is the hero, and we each play a crucial role in bringing his kingdom, bearing his image, and living in rich, deep, and fulfilling relationship with him. Let's worship.